Well, we're going we're gonna to combat the weather this morning. I know a dreary day means dreary demeanors. So we're going to uh, we're gonna move through that. We're going to press through that this morning. And we're going to consider something um, related to the gospel that we have not yet considered. We're in this series. We're talking about the gospel. We talked about first how clear the gospel was. Um, and secondly, we talked about how the gospel is exclusive, how essential it is. Uh, last week, then, on Easter Sunday, we talked about the gospel and how it is rooted in the physical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it is a physical reality. Um, and this morning, we're going to talk about the outworking um, and how the gospel is compelling and how the gospel is compelling us to move forward in, in our day-to-day -day lives. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at one verse this morning, just one verse. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This morning, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some on this table right here. Um, Larry can help you get one. Um, it is good to have it in front of you. It is good to see that I'm not making this up. When we're talking about it, it is very important that we see the words in front of us um, as inspired by the Holy Spirit through His servant Paul this morning. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we're just going to look at this one verse. Let me read it for us and then we'll, we'll dive in. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me read it one more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when we look at this verse, right, we see something compelling the Apostle Paul. I think that we find a lot of things compelling in our world. We find a lot of things compelling. I see art, music, um, just general aesthetic beauty, sports, travel. We like to talk about these things. We talk about them regularly. Some of those things move us to laughter. Some of them move us to tears. Um, you name it. Um, we have an emotional response to many things in our world, things that we enjoy, things that are compelling to us. So confession time, I'm compelled by Star Wars. I, I like Star Wars. Um, I, I really enjoy it. That There was a teaser trailer this last week. If you're Star Wars fans, anybody? No? Okay. Yeah! Okay, yeah. okay so teaser trailer this last week for the next movie that's coming out, the next episode. Episode 8 is going to drop in December, December 15th. Circle it on your calendar right now. Incredibly important. Really exciting stuff. I'm on the phone, I'm calling people, dissecting the trailer, talking about what's going on, what, what, is that, what does that mean, how is this happening, what's going on, I have no idea, my mind is totally blown right now, I'm listening to podcasts about theory, story, structure, all of these different things, just, just going on and on, I'm compelled by it. When I was a kid, I would stand around and go out in the yard and play, and I'd play in that universe. That was the universe that I grew up in. It was an incredible place to play. And then I thought about, you know, what would be awesome if we could do this or that or the other thing in this universe. Um, I've cried while watching Star Wars. I've wept while I've watched Star Wars. This is, this is true. I'm not, I'm not making this up. My wife can attest to it. My family can attest to it. Um, I, I've, I have wept. It, it is compelling to me. And I think why it's compelling to me is because it, it's a story, right? It's a, it's a story that I feel compelled by because I can make somehow, can make some kind of personal connection to what's happening in the story. Um, and so there's a narrative there that's happening that, that I am compelled by. We like to talk about things that can, if you want to come up and talk to me about Star Wars, we can talk about Star Wars. I can talk about Star Wars for days. I'm not even kidding, like days. 
But with the word compel, right, as we look at this text, as we look at Romans 1.16 and think about the things that compel us, the word compel just kind of means to move us or drive us in a certain direction. Are we moved or driven by something in a certain direction? So that's kind of what we mean when we talk about compel. When something moves us in almost an uncontrollable way, right? Like, I didn't plan when I sat down to watch Empire Strikes Back to be weeping, but I was. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. This is safe space here. Um, something drives us, and we respond, right? We, we respond. If we have an emotional response, we have some kind of intellectual, emotional response to something. We don't remain indifferent to that thing. We don't remain indifferent when we are compelled by something, when we are moved by something, when we are, when we are, uh, when we are driven by something. So when I read Romans 1, verse 16, and then I consider what Paul writes throughout the course of, of the book of Romans, I see a man completely compelled by the truth of the gospel. I see a man completely compelled by the truth of the gospel. This is what eats up the majority of his time. He thinks about it, he processes it, he sits on it, he, he, is, he is bathing in the truth of the gospel. So he writes in Romans 8, a few chapters after our verse this morning, he writes this. And this is a man who is completely compelled by the truth of the gospel. He writes this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us? Insertion here, this is me. Insertion, who is interceding before us. We sing that song, Cornerstone. We talk about anchor behind the veil, right? Jesus, when we sing that, we're like, what are we talking about? We're talking about ships and anchors all of a sudden. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the anchor, the one who sits behind the veil, the one who sits in the very presence of God and makes intercession on our behalf so that we might experience forgiveness and eternal joy in him. Because that's, that's my aside. Who shall separate, this is Paul again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a man who is compelled by the truth that is contained within him. You don't write that if you don't feel anything. You don't write that if you're not affected by what's going on in your heart. This is what it means to be compelled. If he saw the truth of the gospel as pretty cool or all right. I don't think he would have written that. I, I, don't, I don't think he would have written that. So the question is, when we look at verse 16, and I think this, is, this points to this, and, and the unpacking of the, the remainder of the book of Romans is just this, this ongoing uh, re-statement re, uh, of the gospel, just ongoing, ongoing, over and over and over again, and the results of the gospel and what it means to believe the truth of the gospel and to be compelled by it. 
And Romans 1.16 really operates as the thesis, or, or he's going to sum up what he's going to say for the rest of the book right here in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we see Paul, a man completely compelled. And I think we aren't equally as compelled. The question is, why aren't we compelled? I mean, I think for, for several reasons, of which we won't exhaust here this morning. I think there are several reasons why we act and we look and we, we aren't compelled in the way that Paul is. But let's just talk about a couple of these. I, I think we, we've talked about this in this series so far, but we just don't get it because we can, we're content to remain infants. We're not compelled because we're content to remain infants. I think this is problematic for people in the church. I think it's problematic for Christians, and I think it's been problematic for all of time. We are content to remain infants. We sip the milk while the steak dinner passes under our nose. What do I mean by that? Okay. We sip the milk while our steak dinner passes under our nose. I've joked that it would be cool to have a, when, when like I'm carrying my kid around and whatever. And I'm joking, it would be really cool if a giant would just carry me around all the time. That would be great. And then I wouldn't have to I, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. But but really, in all honesty, that wouldn't be cool. That would not be cool. I'm created, and, and I have a, a, a desire. It's ingrained in me to stand up and walk at some point. And our kids do that. They stand up and walk at some point. I need to get myself from A to B, and I don't want to do that dependent on another. Um, but when it comes to our Bible, when it comes to our understanding of the primary truth that the Bible is communicating, which is the gospel, the primary truth that the Bible is communicating, which is the gospel, um, we would rather have someone push us in a stroller or lay us down in a crib. But rather, what we need to do is grow in understanding that this truth actually is. We need to be continually growing in understanding that this truth actually is. Why? Um, well, because we're an easily distracted people. We're an easily, especially in our society, right? Smartphones, whatever. There's like always something going on in the back of our mind because we, we're pulled so many different directions. We're an easily distracted people. We're like the dogs in Up. You know the dogs and up, there's, like, there's a squirrel, and they're a little squirrel, and they look in that direction. That, that's what we're doing. We're undisciplined, we're lazy. But I would submit to you this morning that if you gave the gospel just 1% of our attention, 1% of our attention, um, it would compel us in a dramatic way. Just 1%. 1%. That's a small percentage. Um, we say things, and we say things like, well, I just don't have time. Well, the fact of the matter is that's a cop-out. The the, the author of Proverbs, in chapter 22, verse 13, says, The sluggard says, There is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the street. We're always making excuses. That's what this is. This is an excuse. There's a lion outside. There's a lion in the streets. I'm going to be killed. We're always making some kind of excuse about why we can't invest more time in understanding the truth that God has given to us in His Word. We're always making excuses. Another reason that, so we're content to remain infants, right? Another reason we're largely uncompelled by the gospel is because we confuse the response to the gospel with the gospel itself. And this is what we want to talk about primarily this morning. We confuse the response to the gospel with the gospel itself. And a lot of times this leads to legalism or moralism, moralism or, in the opposite end of things, uh, uh, an antinomianism or a rejection of any kind of response that, that, that needs to take place. So consider this, you get a knock on your door, you answer, there's a man there who's standing there, and he says, I am so sorry, I just ran over your cat with my car. I just ran over your cat with my car, consider this. We, you would be sad, right? You would be sad. That, that's a sad thing to happen. 
Uh, maybe some of that, maybe this happened to you. Uh, but your sadness and your grief does not change the truth that your cat was hit by a car. Right? Your sadness or your grief does not change the fact that your cat was hit by a car. The truth that your cat was hit by the car compels your grief. It moves you to it. And if someone says, why are you sad? If you go to work and co-worker looks at you and says, why are you so sad? You say, well, I'm just because I'm sad. No, you would, you would share with them. You would say to them, no, it's because I lost my cat this weekend. And it was really hard. But somehow this doesn't add up when we read our Bibles and consider what God has done for us in Christ. So, so we've been talking about this definition of the gospel, right? We've been talking about the truth that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but never-ending joy. This is our definition of the gospel that we've been working with. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to reign eternally as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never-ending joy. We get that mixed up with other things, though, a lot. We get it mixed up with other things a lot. If you go from here, and there's a homeless person outside, I'm just berating you with these examples this morning. Um, there's a homeless person outside the doors, and you invite him to go to lunch with you, and he asks you, why are you doing this? You shouldn't say, well, I just love others. Well, I just love others. That's not what you should say. You should say, if you're in Christ, you should say, God has demonstrated his love for, for me and generously towards me in Christ Jesus. And I'm responding by doing the same. That's what we should say in that instance. People don't need your love in this example in particular. People don't need your love. They need the love of Jesus demonstrated through you. But again, we often mix this up. Okay, so here's another example. We emphasize community here at Buffalo City Church. We talk about community. We talk about community groups. We talk about doing life together regularly, living life as the people of God who have a common identity in Christ Jesus. But the danger in doing this, just to speak openly, the danger in doing this might be led to believe that that community aspect is the gospel in and of itself, and it's not. It's not the gospel. It is a response to the gospel. If we look at our Bibles, we see a list of things to do. We've missed the point. If we see, look at our Bibles and say, oh, community, we've got to do this um, in order to be saved, then we've missed the point. If we look at our Bibles and see a list of things that God has done for us and ask the question, what's our response, then, then, we've, then we've processed it correctly. So we need to look at our Bibles, see a list of things that God has done on our behalf first, and then ask ourselves, what's our response? When we see a command in the New Testament, primarily, when we see a command in the New Testament given to us, um, it directs you to something. We, it's like a road sign, right? It's pointing you to something. When you see a command to live a certain way in the New Testament, what does that mean? It doesn't mean try harder. Take Colossians, okay? I'm going to read this passage for us. Take Colossians 3, 5 through 11, for instance. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Oh shoot, look at that, verses 5 through 11, this is performance-based, right? We think to ourselves, okay, here's a list of things that I need to accomplish and need to accomplish now. 
But that's that's the problem because when we look at this, right, um, um, we would might think to ourselves, living correctly is the gospel. But that's so far off base. And we have to get rid of that mindset. Why? Because of one simple word. One simple word. If we look at the beginning of that text in verse 5, Paul writes, put to death, therefore. We see the word therefore, and we have to ask ourselves, what comes before? What comes before? What compels this response? What compels the response to live in this way? Paul writes it in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3 in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the things we do, then, are rooted in the gospel. The gospel compels our response in right living according to God's word. The gospel compels a response. So then as we look then at verse uh, 16 of chapter 1 in Romans, when Paul writes this to the church in Rome, he's essentially setting up this whole letter, right? He's saying, that what is the gospel according to this verse? He says, for I'm not ashamed of that. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Right? He's saying, who is the gospel for? The gospel is for the Jew first and also to the Greek. But he's saying it's to everyone, to all people. We've discussed these things in previous weeks. Together again, the definition that we're using of the gospel. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never-ending joy. And this is what Paul means then when he writes that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. When he writes that the power, the power of God for salvation is the gospel, and it's for all people, and that it's, and it's the only way, what he leads with that is what he wants us to focus on, right? Look at the beginning of verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, again, lack of shame is not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to save those who believe. But the gospel compels, empowers, moves us to, drives us to boldness. Consider who Paul is writing to, the church in Rome, right? What do we know about the church in Rome? It's a church at the epicenter of the largest empire in the world, right? The church in Rome are people who have set themselves apart, who are thinking to themselves, okay, there's a guy who lived in this small province southeast of us who shook some stuff up and got himself killed, right? The church in Rome, Rome, the people who were, they were around probably didn't think much of it. It might have, been, might have made page 5 or 6 in the Roman newspaper. It wasn't something that was, was probably on many people's radar. So this church is situated in this context where the gospel is something that's kind of like, yeah, I heard about that. That's kind of weird. It's down there. Let's not worry about it. We're powerful. The only word that we should really be paying attention to anyway is Caesar's. So the message then that Paul preaches and preaches throughout the course of this letter and is preaching to the Romans is... Uh, it's strange. It's a strange message. It's a weird message because the people who they were situated in probably would not have thought much of it. It was just kind of something that was down there. It just took place. It just happened. It was just a blip on their radar. Well, Paul says in the letter that he is not ashamed. He is compelled by the message. 
And then for the first four chapters in this book, he's going to talk about, he's going to explain the gospel in great, great detail. Because he wants his readers to be compelled and not to be ashamed. He doesn't want them to be ashamed. He doesn't want them to, to say, yeah, you know what, this is kind of craziness. No, he wants to say, that, no, this is powerful. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed. So, in this then, I want to, I want to just think about one way, just one way, because this is an ongoing discussion that needs to be taking place, but this is just one way that the gospel compels us. And it's really driven to us by, by this understanding of not being ashamed by the gospel. So, and it's just this, the gospel is freedom. This is a way that the gospel compels us. The gospel is freedom. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes about his personal story. He talks about going to Jerusalem with Barnabas. He takes Titus with him. Um, and there's this group of guys there who are, who are around, and they're, they're adding things to the gospel. They're telling the people who, who have believed the gospel, trusted the gospel. Um, Paul says this. He says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for one moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He was saying this to the church and uh, to, to the Galatian church so that um, they might see the gospel in its purest form. What is Paul saying? There was a group of people who wanted to come into your church and contaminate the gospel. They wanted to come in and add something to the truth of the gospel. They wanted to come in and add something to by grace through faith. They wanted to come in and to give them something that said, no, you need to do this list of things. They wanted to say, unless you believe the gospel and perform these duties, you cannot be saved. And Paul calls this slavery. He says, this is slavery. This is not the freedom that the gospel has granted to us. This is slavery. If you think that you can take the gospel, if you can take, think that you can take our definition, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe but only never enjoy. You think you can take that and add something to that and make it better? You are a slave. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Paul says there is freedom in Christ. Galatians 5, then a couple chapters after, he writes this bit of his story. Galatians 5, 1 and 2, he writes this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, this is what they wanted to add to the gospel, circumcision. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. No advantage. And later he writes, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, so that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul is saying that before the gospel you were a slave. And if you believe the gospel and then add to it, you're just going back to that slavery. You're just walking right back into that slavery. The gospel is freedom. It frees us. It frees us completely, but then if we submit to a laundry list of things that we must accomplish, we are walking back into that slavery. So once you trust in Christ, you're now free. And the gospel is compelling. The reason the gospel is compelling is because it provides you the freedom you need to no longer live for yourself, 
as you did when you were a slave to sin, but live as God intended. So, the one millionth time that I've said this now, and I'm going to say it probably another million times, is just the mentality that we have as a people. This is a bit societal. It is a bit, uh, it is a bit because of just who we are and our nature. We tend to think about ourselves first, right? We tend to be a people who go to ourselves and begin to think about who am I. We start to asking these questions, right? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I good at? What do I do? That is, I'm going to submit to you, based on what Paul says to us in Galatians and in Romans, I'm going to submit to you that that, that, that thinking is enslaved to sin. That is thinking that is enslaved to sin. All of these questions are rooted in self-centered desires. Carving space out for yourself and being all that you can be, none of those things are in the Bible unless your Bible is a Disney movie. Unless your Bible is a, a Disney movie. The freedom that flows out of the gospel, not enslaved to sin, is not so self-consumed. It says, I exist for others. I've been free to live in a world as Jesus lived in response to what he did on my behalf. I exist for others. Your freedom, Paul says, is not an opportunity for the flesh. Right? Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Believing in yourself, being all that you need, Disney phrases, whatever. Then you need to discover what God communicates about who you are in Christ. If your internal monologue includes any of those things, you need to discover what God communicates about who you are in Christ. The gospel is compelling because it frees us to be who God intended us to be. That's right. The, the gospel is compelling because it frees us to be who God intended, intended us to be. So think back to the garden, right? Think back to Genesis 3. When, when Eve takes of the fruit and eats it, right? They were intended to exist in perfect relationship with God. And because the, the act of disobedience, because the act of disobedience that took place in Genesis 3, that was broken off. They were, they were intended to be in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with one another. And because in that moment they thought to themselves, when, when the serpent said to them, did God actually say to you, do not eat of the fruit of the tree? And they said, to the, they said to themselves, you know what? And then the serpent said, you know why God said that? He's because he'd be like him if you did. It was like, all of a sudden it's self-centered. All of a sudden it's about you. All of a sudden it's about, about an, internal, uh, an internal thing saying, you know what? Yeah, right. I am. I do deserve that. I do deserve to, to think like God. What is God hiding from me? Why am I not independent? When God intended Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with who he who, with him and with each other. The gospel moves us back to that state. The gospel takes us out of our sin that says, yeah, no, it is about me. And moves us back to the state that says, no, I exist for a relationship with God and to uh, reflect that relationship with, with others. So those who are not bound to sinful flesh that causes us to only pursue our own interests but the interests of others. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus bought your freedom. It bought your freedom. If you trusted Christ, it's bought your freedom. It's the fact of the matter. Your freedom was purchased. So what is your response then? What are you compelled to do? And this is the only reason that the gospel is compelling, but it's the only reason we have time for this morning. So it's like Paul says, you're not going to use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So this is the final thing that I'll, I'll say this morning. We'll get through this and we'll be done. 
Well, we thought about the Roman context for Paul, right? We thought about this big empire, this blip on the radar, and just thinking about these small things that were going on in the southeast in this small province for the Roman Empire, and a church situated in the epicenter of this, right? The content of Paul's preaching would have just been this blip on this radar, but Paul is saying this is the biggest, most powerful message that the world has ever known. Um, I think that we live in a similar context. I think that we live in it, not because of government or whatever, not because of we're, we're being oppressed in a particular way, but because um, of the good news of Jesus Christ just tends to be a blip on the radar for most people. It just tends to be a blip on the radar, not because Caesar's word is most important, but because our culture has told us that our word is most important. If we're thinking that our word is most important, if we're putting ourselves in that position, we are, again, we're idolaters. Like we talked about last week, in order... To follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves, hang up our cross, and follow him. The gospel makes that possible. But in many instances, we're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel, not because of Caesar again, but because we don't want to live in a place where we're no longer most important. Where we're no longer the ones who are in charge. Where we're not autonomous, independent beings. So, make an evaluation this week. This is, this is called an action here. Make an evaluation this week. You may, yeah, 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 I get it. I'm not the most important. I've got kids, and I've got to take care of them, and I'm just not here or there or whatever. But here's some questions just to think about. Make, a, make an evaluation of your thoughts and actions. Um, because sometimes our actions, when we do them, we don't really consider where our heart's at in them. Okay, so consider this. Are you, are you ever annoyed by others? Are you ever annoyed by others? Are you frustrated when things don't go the way that you want them to? Maybe, maybe you struggle to keep commitments. Are you considering how your lack of commitment affects others? Are you loving others well in them? You spend a significant amount of time thinking about how you can be more comfortable. When you serve others, are you more concerned about how it makes you feel than the outcome for the other person? Do your interests keep you from investing in others? Do you feel suffering and hardship as an opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness and an opportunity to encourage others or a sidelining source of debilitation? These questions, and there are others, I'm sure, I think they can help you see if you're living in freedom or you're submitting to the yoke of slavery, like Paul says. I think they can help us identify that. If you're compelled by the gospel or if you're living in spiritual infancy, and you, you may say, Everything I do is for others. Again, I'm alone. I have three-year-old. They can't encourage me because they're three-year-old and they're self-centered. No matter how how kind I am to my boss, he still belittles me. Belittles me to my classmates, my roommates. I, I I I exist for them. They're jerks. No matter how many times I help offer with their homework or do their dishes or whatever. But if you're struggling with those thoughts. What you need to do, what you need to consider, what you don't need, actually, what you don't need is someone to do something kind for you in return. You need to understand that God has shown you incredible kindness in Christ Jesus. That's the source. That's the well. That's the well that we go back to. He's altered your entire eternity. That's what compels us. right? That's what compels us. He changed you from dead to alive. He brought you out of slavery. Out of slavery. With the shed blood. The source for you to show kindness toward others is not others showing kindness towards you. The source for you to exist for others is because of what God has done for you in Christ. So when you feel dried up, beaten down, raked over the coals, like you have nothing left in the tank, you need to go back to the source of eternal joy and freedom and believe what Paul writes to the Romans. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone 
who believes. And you have to recite the gospel, think to yourself the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again, eternally reigned as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never ending joy. This, this truth must compel us. If you hear those words and really think of them and unmoved, you need to go from here. You need to cry out to God and say, please, God, show me the beauty of the gospel. Compel me with your truth. You can't hear those words and think to yourself, there's nothing for me in this. The gospel compels us. It frees us. If any one of us were slaves, if any of us were physical slaves, if any of us were physical slaves in this world and we were granted our freedom, we would live differently, right? We would live differently. We would not go from, go from the place where we were enslaved and then keep going back to it. Right? We would not do that. We would live in response to the fact that we've been, we've been delivered from physical slavery. This is exactly what the Paul, Paul says is taking place for us. When the gospel is proclaimed, people respond. When the gospel is proclaimed, people respond. Jesus tells the religious leaders that he and the Father are one, one. The religious leaders pick up stones to kill him. Peter proclaims the gospel after healing the man in the temple in Acts 3 and 4. He gets thrown in jail with John. Paul's entire ministry is marked by positive and negative responses to the gospel. In some instances, severe beatings were the response. In other instances, many come to faith. And so for us as well, the gospel moves us to respond. Our response is not the gospel. Our response is not the gospel. But the response is absolutely necessary. So what if, what if this morning you're hearing this and you say, I'm just not compelled by this truth. I'm just not. I'm not. I don't wake up in the morning and think about it. I'm not compelled by the truth of the gospel. What if the truth that that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never any joy. What if that truth does not regularly compel you in any way? It doesn't move you in any way. Two things I would examine immediately. I would like go from here and I would like get somewhere quiet and examine myself two places, right? We talked about one already. Am I in, in a spiritual infant? Am I an infant? Can I articulate the gospel and relate it to my everyday situations and circumstances? Not just God is good or praise the Lord every once in a while in a text message. Not just that. But real focused understanding of what God has done and is accomplishing in your life desp despite the fact what you see going on in your circumstances. Despite the fact of what you feel like is going on. You have a real focused understanding of what God has accomplished and is accomplishing in your life based on the truth that he gives us in his word. The truth about what God has done and done for us and is doing in us is found in His Word, not your feelings or external circumstances. When you're faced with a mess after mealtime, your kids just pfft, explosion. It's like having every mealtime in our place. It's just there's like I'm I'm like three weeks later I'm like finding food on the wall, things that we ate three weeks ago. I'm like what is going on? When you're faced with a mess after mealtime, does the gospel inform that? Ask yourself that question. Does the gospel inform the mess after mealtime? Say to yourself, before Christ, I was a mess. I was in my sin. I was covered in it. I was completely unacceptable to God, but because of Jesus' work, I am accepted by God and covered in Jesus' righteousness. You're faced with a difficult co-worker, difficulties at work. 
This is the gospel in form that before Christ I was God's enemy. I was God, the Bible tells me I was God's enemy before Christ. But he forgave me by sending his son to die in my place. Now I'm his friend. He calls me his friend. God calls me his friend. Therefore, I'm called to extend ongoing love and forgiveness to this person, this coworker, this difficult coworker, because of the infinite love and forgiveness given to me in Christ. When you're faced with sickness or death, does the gospel inform that? Before Christ, I was dead in my transgressions and sins. Before Christ, I was dead in my transgressions. I was sick unto death. But Christ, in Christ, I have been healed, or my spiritual sickness and the physical ailments that I experience now will soon eternally be in my past. So we need to work to move out of infancy. So we need to really consider this this morning, um, or as we go from here. We need to work to move out of infancy to a place where the gospel is the most important element of all we think about and all that we do. Secondly, then, this is the other thing that I would examine immediately, is am I connected to others who are compelled by the gospel? Am I connected to others who are compelled by the gospel. One sure way to not be compelled is to cut yourself off from those who are compelled by the gospel. One sure way to not be compelled by the gospel is to cut yourself off from others who are compelled by the gospel. Now this is going to be awkward and it's going to hurt because sometimes the gospel informs us in ways that we're just not ready or prepared or excited about. Like, that's the fact of the matter. There are days where you wake up and the truth of the gospel is far from compelling. And you need to, in that moment, be willing to step into a conversation, a relationship, and be encouraged by another one who is compelled. Or maybe who is also equally not as compelled, and you guys need to speak the truth back and forth to one another until, until, that, until you are compelled. Stepping into a relationship where you both feel the same thing, but need each other to move past that uncompelled state. So I'm, I'm a relatively impatient person. My wife says, go find something in the fridge and go and look for maybe two seconds. And I say, nah, I can't find it. But I, was just like, I just don't have time for it. But, or I think I don't have time for it. And then I ask her, I say, I don't, I don't see it here. Where, where is it? And she comes in and then it takes her like three <laughs> seconds to find it. And I was like, just give it one more second. <laughs> Those two to three seconds are about my threshold for looking for leftovers. So... So the thought then is, as we're looking at this, really, the summer for us is right around the corner, although the weather doesn't seem like it. It, it is, I think. Um, some of us here, in our Buffalo City Church, or our faith family, some of us here are, gonna, are going to dedicate two or three seconds to, to thinking about being compelled by the truth of the gospel through the course of the summer. Some of us are going to get there. Some of us are going to be there. We're going to be completely, wholly disconnected. And for several months... Um, then we're going to wonder why we're spiritually dried up, we're, we're feeling unencouraged, we're unable to connect the truth of the gospel with our lives. And the admonition here is simply this, don't cut yourself off. We get like 14 minutes of good weather in North Dakota in the summer. So like, go enjoy it by all means, but in that, find ways to create opportunities to, to do that together with others. Find opportunities to spend time enjoying the, the, our time together with, with others. Proverbs 27.17, this is a, a, a very famous proverb. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron is sharpened by something real, something familiar. Iron, right? It's not something foreign. It's not some foreign substance that's out there that just exists out in the ether somewhere that we just grab hold of and sharpen our iron and then put it back. No, it's iron. It's something very real, something very familiar. 
So if we're disconnected then from the real, if we're disconnected from the familiar throughout the course of our time together, for the, for the course of our summer, we're not engaged together, um, we won't be sharpened at all. We won't, in summary then, and this is the last, the, the seriously the last thing I'll say, we must oftentimes fight to be compelled by the gospel. It's not always going to happen because we, we live in the world. There are lots of compelling things out there. There are. And there are lots of things that, 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 that pull at our attention, our flesh. They tell us the gospel is not compelling. They tell us it's not, it's not, it shouldn't move us. It shouldn't drive us. This is crazy. This is madness. That God would strike his own son uh, in our place. So the call then this morning is to press into each other so that we, with Paul, might say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's nothing in my world that can, can cause me to be ashamed of the gospel because I know, because I know that it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Let's pray.